May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our strength and you are our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So this week I, I read a story about a seminary professor who put up a target in his classroom and made uh, several throwing darts handy and invited his students to draw pictures of people that kind of annoyed them, kind of made them mad, whatever, invited them to put them up on the uh, target and said, you know, why don't we just blow off some steam? And they threw darts at the pictures of the people that had annoyed them. It all seemed like kind of harmless fun and games until then that professor walks over to the wall and takes off the target and underneath was a picture of Jesus now stabbed, ripped, torn, mutilated. It's quite an object lesson, don't you think? Because isn't that what happens when the body of Christ is not at peace with each other? It goes without saying that a place of peace, or at least I should go without saying that a place of peace is a place of safety. And if we're not at peace with each other, uh, we're, we're not going to be a place of safety for each other. If we're not at peace with each other, we will bring real injury to the body of our Lord. Last week, I spoke about the hope of a future city, one where we dare to lay down our darts, if you will, and see the image of God in each person. St. Augustine talked about that, uh, that vision from Isaiah chapter 2 and said, The peace of the celestial city is the perfectly ordered and harmonious enjoyment of God and of one another in God. And doesn't that sound great? If only we could, we could live like that, right? Like that sounds so awesome. But what does it really look like in practice? Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question uh, because I, I, I want to try to answer it for you from what Paul said today. I think that's really what he's getting at. See, Paul has no concept of a theology that doesn't work its way out into everyday life of the Christian. And so for Paul, when he is going back to these visions of Isaiah in chapter 2 and, and also what we read today, that, that long uh, passage about the root of, of, uh, of Jesse there— uh, he's, he's not thinking that this is something that just stays in the realm of nice ideas. He's thinking this is something that has to make a difference in our attitudes, in our actions, in our affections. And so Paul begins to, to lay out what it means to really be at peace with each other in Romans. And he, what he does is he lays it out in terms of our responsibility, of our motivation, of our help, and our purpose— and pursuing peace and harmony. So, what does Paul say our responsibility is when it comes to peace? Well, I want to emphasize this too. It's not just Paul speaking. This is God the Holy Spirit communicating to us through the words of St. Paul. He says that any of us who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak 
an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The, the reason Paul singles out the strong here, and by that, but what he means by strong is those that have kind of come to, to be settled in their biblical convictions and have good reasons for believing what they believe. The, the reason he singles out the strong is that we all think we're the strong ones. We all think that we're the strong ones, don't we? Like, we all think that our opinion is the biblical and wise opinion. The point here is that we have a biblical and moral obligation to bear with one another, which means not to reject each other, even if we think other people's opinion is wrong. Even if, even if we think that someone disagrees with us theologically. <laughs> that we are called to not reject one another, but accept one another. Now, let's talk about our motivation for being obedient in this. It's a simple exhortation, isn't it? Love your Christian brothers and sisters, even when you disagree. But it's certainly not easy to live out. But we do it because Christ did it. We do it because Christ did it. In uh, verse 3 of our passage from Romans 15, For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, he didn't retaliate or harm any of the many people that not only disagreed with him, but slandered him, mocked him, called him a heretic. So we bear with those that seem weaker in the faith than we are, continuing to approach them, not reject them, but approach them in love, because that's exactly what Christ did for the whole world. And it doesn't mean we always agree. That's not what this is about. Um, it doesn't mean um, that we compromise on what we truly believe to be, to be true. But it does mean that we refuse to harm any person verbally or otherwise. And, and it means that we proactively look for ways to make peace with people that we disagree with. Even at our own expense. Because that's what Jesus did. Because Jesus bore... Not just disagreements about food or drink or candles or vestments or incense, which, by the way, is the kind of things that are in view in this, in this passage, secondary matters of faith. But he actually took serious, really serious things like our rebellion, like our brokenness, like our inner evil, and he bore all of that for us on himself on the cross. He was the only one that's strong enough to bear that kind of burden. But, but he invites us into that cross-shaped way of life, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, here among one another. And so we know it might look like death, but Jesus' own resurrection from the dead proves that we will indeed find the way of the cross is the way of life and the way of peace. So our obligation is to bear with one another's perceived and possible failings. And we do it because Christ our Lord gives us an example in bearing not just potential mistakes or mishaps, but our own certain self-destructive sin. But let's be real. We need help doing this. We need a lot of help. And this is because we can't all be right in matters of conscience, but we all have consciences. <laughs> we can't all be right. 
Um, and, and so we need to be able to tell the difference between those things that we appropriately leave to God to judge and those things that we can stand firm on uh, as, as items that God has already revealed his judgment on. Now, that's not easy, but Jesus said that there are weightier matters of the law in Matthew 23. And so there's also freedom of conscience within certain boundaries, according to uh, this passage in Romans. So this is a recurring theme. Again, the answer is not simple, but, uh, or it is, it's actually pretty simple, but it's not easy, right? We, we, we have to humbly, that, that's a real key to this. We have to humbly and faithfully and continually return to the words of God written, the Holy Scriptures. We have to humbly, faithfully, and continually return to the words of God written, the Holy Scriptures. St. Paul says in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That we might have hope that we can have peace with each other, basically, is what he's saying. So in his commentary on this great passage, the, uh, the great Anglican evangelical John Stott says, A safe guide is that truths on which Scripture speaks with a clear voice are essentials. Whereas whenever equally biblical Christians, equally anxious to understand and obey Scripture, reach different conclusions, these must be regarded as non-essentials. So returning to the Bible together in humble conversation with the church throughout time and space, with attentiveness to the Holy Spirit, that's how we begin to make those distinctions between essentials and non-essentials. And over time, and, and it takes a lot of time, which is why we have to have endurance. It's why we have to have patience. It takes a lot of time. Those things begin to solidify and they become clearer. This is exactly the process by which we got the creeds. Those of you that have been attending here for a while, have been part of our church family for a while, know that we say this, this statement called the Nicene Creed almost every Sunday. And the reason we say that is because we consider it to be the basic statement of the core essentials of Christianity because it sums up what we believe that the Bible witnesses to about Christ. Nevertheless, even with that process of, of kind of discerning essentials, non-essentials, people are still going to disagree. And they're going to even disagree about things that most of the church has said this is essential. And so sometimes that might require a degree of separation. But that's not the same as rejection. You guys follow me on that? It might require a degree of separation. That's not the same as rejection. We never stop bearing the burden of our brothers and sisters. We never stop. Because if we are faithful to Christ, then his vision of a fully united church remains at the forefront. And that remains our vision too. And his love for even those that would crucify him becomes our posture as well. If we are in him. So if we separate from other bodies, if we separate from brothers and sisters due to theological differences, ethical differences, it's not a matter of rejection. And we, we do it in sorrow and to the best of our ability with a loving desire and a, and a continual effort to draw together still under the banner of the biblical essentials as best we understand them. That is hard and painful work. And so we rely completely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit 
for this. We cannot control or manifest the unity of the church apart from him. Even if we know all the right stuff and we get everybody to agree on it, it's not going to be enough. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's something that we pray for continuously. That's why Paul offered his own prayers for the church at Rome. He said this in verse 5. He's praying, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. See, we need God to grant us this as a gift of grace. It's not something we can just make happen with all the right statements of faith. The next verse gives us the reason that peace within the whole body is so important for Paul and to Jesus. Paul says that he wants harmony in the body of Christ. Get this. So that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The harmony that we want to have with one another, where we treat each other as Christ has treated us, allows us to, even when we disagree, call attention to the goodness of God in Christ. This is the purpose of peace. It's to show people what God is like. If we love each other through disagreements, we show the world how salvation works. Because it's pure self-sacrificial love, not simply being right that makes things right. God's always been right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he had to love us to make things right. When we are at peace with each other because of Jesus, even when we disagree about important things, we're actually directly confronting the original lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. If you go back to the first few chapters of Genesis and you read this, you'll find that he says something like this. If you only knew what God knew, then you'd be like God. And God doesn't want that. That was the original lie. But no, no. I mean, it was, man, what a lie. Because first of all, Adam and Eve were already like God. They were made in his image. And second of all, it's never been about what you know. If only we love as God loves, then we will be like God. If we love as God loves, then we will be like God. And God absolutely wants that for everyone. See, when we live in light of the cross and dependence on the Holy Spirit... God restores his image in us. He unifies his church. He manifests true peace. And brothers and sisters, this is real spiritual warfare against that ancient lie, against that ancient serpent that seeks to draw us away from fellowship with our creator and with one another. And brothers and sisters, our worship, when we gather together in peace, this is why it's such a big deal that we say the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you on Sunday mornings. It's a big deal. Our, our peaceful worship together is, is part of that spiritual warfare. One of the church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch, said this, Make every effort to come together as often as possible to give thanks and to glory to God. For when you gather together frequently, the powers of Satan are destroyed and his destruction is brought to an end by the unanimity of your faith. There is nothing better, he says, than peace by which all war in heaven and on earth is abolished. Man, those old guys knew how to preach, huh? Brothers and sisters, let us be at peace. 
because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to live out this, this exhortation that Paul gives us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen.